Why are you judging my daughter's diving? I wasn't talking about her. I was finalizing this month's special at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. 2.99% interest for 10 years. Wow, 2.99. Yeah? Visit PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the program. Lots of ground to cover. Let's get right to it. As we move into the 2022 campaign and we're getting down closer to the home stretch there's voters who are sitting there saying okay what what are my decisions going to be made and i understand there's some people are going to vote democrat it doesn't matter who's on the ballot on the other side and there's some people who are going to vote for republicans but in, in wisconsin in particular there is this middle ground and that's how the races are decided in a state like this so the question becomes you know what are the various issues that are on people's minds and i think as i have been arguing for a number of months this year while everybody has their own voting issue, there, there's a couple that people are really focused on. First of all, especially if you live in southeastern Wisconsin, you've got the whole issue of, of crime, um, public safety, and you've got you know people who are diametrically opposed to their approaches. Governor Evers is on record as saying he wants to reduce the prison population in Wisconsin by 50 percent. Governor Evers took certain positions on the riots in Kenosha and things like that, and, and Tim Michaels is pretty much on the other side. So crime is an issue, I think, particularly in southeastern Wisconsin. Having said that, though, I think there's one issue that transcends all the others, and it doesn't matter what part of the state you are in, and that is the economy. It kind of goes back to when Bill Clinton was running for president in 1994 and 1992, and, and all you heard was, it's the economy, stupid. You know, you don't need to talk about other stuff. Talk about the economy, because that's what people are concerned about. Just like in 1992, it was, as an issue, the economy, stupid. I, I think in 2022, it is the economy a, as well. People very, very concerned, and in particular, they're very, very distressed about the whole issue of inflation. Now, we have, if you're of a certain age, you've lived through other periods of inflation. But for a lot of people, the idea that prices are, are rising, you know, 8 9% from last year is just, it's just almost mind-boggling. And to the extent that people have gotten raises, all that, that's good, but you get a raise, and if it all gets eaten up with every time you go to the grocery store, no pun intended, or the gas station, or you buy other goods or services, you're not really ahead. And that's what people are, are finding. Inflation has been so very rampant that any gains they've had are, are are just paper gains, and they're all kind of eaten up. Joe Biden made a – well, he's made a number of huge mistakes when it comes to dealing with the economy. First of all, it was his various programs that fueled inflation. But on top of that, he downplayed it. He said, oh, this is going to be transitory. It's no big deal. And that was last summer. Well, okay, inflation is still with us, and it's rip-roaring through the economy. So <clears throat> moving into – as election season, that's what candidates need to be talking about. What can you do for the average person? Now, we've talked about a number of different things on this program, things that I am an advocate for. For example, I think we should get rid of the minimum markup law that requires, as a matter of law, retailers to mark up the price of gasoline and mark up the price of other things. I'm very, very much in favor of that. One of the other things that a number of states are using, 
but at least right now in Wisconsin, there's no talk about doing, is a temporary moratorium on the state sales tax. The state of Wisconsin imposes a 5% sales tax on almost all purchases. They don't put the sales tax on purchases of, of groceries, and there are exceptions, but they don't put it on groceries, and they also don't put it on pharmaceuticals. But otherwise, there is a 5% sales tax that is imposed on all purchases. Then you have a number of communities, for example, Milwaukee County in the state, that are also by law are allowed to add in a 0.06% sales tax. So, for example, if you buy goods and serve, if you buy most goods in Milwaukee County, you're paying a 5.6% sales tax state and local. 20 states so far this year have imposed moratoriums on state sales taxes. Now, not this isn't a permanent thing. They're not taking them off forever. They're also not taking them off for months. But what you're seeing happen more and more is especially with back-to-school stuff, with parents running out and having to make the back-to-school, the purchase of school supplies or clothes for kids like that, 20 states this year have either lowered or have abandoned their state sales tax, at least for a period of time. Maybe in some cases it's a month-long holiday during the month of August. Maybe in some cases it's a couple sales tax holiday weekends. Maybe it's a week that's taken off. But the idea is to give average people a little bit of a break as they get ready to send their kids back to school. Now, so far in Wisconsin, no movement at all to do anything like that. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If we're talking about trying to help people, wouldn't a moratorium on the state sales tax, even if it's only for a week, to allow people to make back-to-school purchases and things of the like, wouldn't that make sense? And if you're too concerned about the loss of revenue, what they do in some states is is they put a cap on the, the le- level of purchases. In other words, you know, the um, it, it's really designed to help average people and help the kids get back to school, not give you an opportunity to buy that $10,000 television set that you've always been wanting and, and avoid the state sales tax on that. So in many cases, what they do is they'll put limits on the amount of money that you can spend. They'll take high-ticket items off the off the counter for that. But a back-to-school state sales tax moratorium, I think it's a pretty good idea given the extraordinary times we face. What do you think? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. More Jeff Wagner right after this. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. Interesting reaction. Some of my texters saying things like, Oh, it's no big deal. A few bucks here, a few bucks there is not going to really help. Be be realistic. My idea is, why don't we do what 20 other states are doing and have a sales tax holiday, a moratorium for a week or two? Um, Illinois and New Jersey, they are offering week-long tax holidays. Illinois reduced its sales tax to 1.25% from 6.25% during the holiday. New Jersey isn't charging any sales tax during its holiday. There are limits on the retail volume of items that qualify in the majority of states. So this is designed to help 
average people that are out there. Um, One of my texters is saying, well, despite the 40-year high real inflation, most people don't seem to be affected. Um, No need to give relief via a sales tax holiday because you have some people that are spending on vacation and discretionary material goods. This action should be saved for a time when people are really, truly economically hurting. Hmm. Okay, so the implication is that average citizens in Wisconsin are not really, truly economically hurting. Uh, I think you're kind of misreading the general populace there. 855-616-1620. Chris, Chris, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm good. What do you think? Um, I, I think it's just, if, if people don't think people are hurting, it's just it's just uh, bull malarkey or whatever <laughs> you want to say. It's, you know, I go to, I go to a, a store and they left the old prices on products on the shelf. Okay, so under each, each product is what it used to cost. Okay? Okay. So when you pick the price, you know, the item up, you go to the register... And they're actually charging double, but no one has changed the prices. So if you're lucky enough to catch <laughs> on the register or the tape, but it, it, it's, it's double or quadruple the price that it was. And it's just so exhausting to keep running and hurting and trying and trying to fix and, you know, make sure you're not getting overcharged. And, you know, and it's true. If you go to Illinois over the border, it some of the stores are zero percent. Yep. You know, and like you said, some are one, one and a half or whatever. But, um, and it doesn't mean that anybody, you know, I'm employed, my husband's employed, but still, you know, everything else has gone up, gas. So you, you mm-hmm. need that break. And, you know, you, you just feel now you have to watch the, the grocery stores and the places to make sure they're not, you know, um, messing with you. I mean, it, I mean, it's just, it's just exhausting. Well, it is exhausting. Thank, thanks for call, Chris. I mean, I do think it's interesting. And again, I'm, I'm hearing from textures. Oh, th- this is th- inflation is no big deal. Th- this is this is all just being hyped by the anti-Biden forces, and and it's it's just a few pennies here and there. And who cares if you pay a little bit more? To which I, I just again, I'm sitting there. I'm thinking with my, my head is about to explode. Now, look here. Here's the bottom line: inflation is a very very I'm going to use the word regressive form of, of economic impact because nobody likes to pay more. But depending on your financial position, I mean, if you're wealthy or well-off or whatever you want to describe it, you don't like to pay more. But but yeah, you're, you're going to be able to do it. Maybe you cut back a little bit, but you, you don't have to make that choice between, gee, I'm paying $4 a gallon for gasoline and I need to drive around and I got to figure out how to buy my kids back to school clothes. If you are well-off, you don't like to have to pay more, but you, you can do it, and it's not going to significantly affect your lifestyle. But if you're one of those average citizens that's out there that's really getting whipsawed by this, whether it's $5 or $4 a gallon gasoline, you know, prices in the grocery store, you know, doubling and tripling, then the whole idea of the shrinkflation where the the, the 32-ounce thing, a Gatorade, it used to be 32 ounces for however much, now it's 28 ounces for, for even more. All those things are just hitting and having an impact. And I guess I'm stunned that I'm getting this feedback saying, oh, it's it's not going to make any difference. Why, why, why do this for a week? Well, what about all the people and the parents out there that are trying to buy back-to-school clothes for their kids? Wouldn't it be nice that, okay— it, it, does it does it bring you even given the degree of inflation? Given that inflation's eight or nine percent, not necessarily. But all right, if you just have a if you forego 
a 5% sales tax, for example, for a week, giving people the opportunity to go and, and buy these things that they're going to need for their kids. And by the way, I understand that this can get uh, abused, which is why, like I say, most states have limits on the retail value of, of the items. I'm not saying that this should be a boon. Again, we'll, we'll knock that 5% off if you go you know, buy the car. We're going to knock the 5% off if you go buy the $10,000 television set. But as far as the, the sundries, the things that you need, what's wrong with declaring that week-long holiday and saying, okay, this is your opportunity. Go into the stores, get the stuff, get those school supplies, get the things that your kids need for the fall. Get the stuff that you need for the fall, and we'll give you a little bit of a break. With the state budget surplus where it is, I think the state could afford to take, say, a week off from collecting that sales tax to give the people who arguably need it the most— the middle class people who are out there trying to buy the stuff that they absolutely have, why can't we give them a little bit of a break? This should be something that I, I would think that Republicans and Democrats could agree on. Now, Democrats don't want to see this problem because they acknowledge that if you if you do this, that acknowledges that inflation is, in fact, a problem. Plus, heaven forbid that we should reduce the amount of taxes that people end up paying. You know, that's just not the philosophy you get from Democrats. For Republicans, well, I, I don't know what the objection would be, but it would seem to me that this is something where everybody could reach across the aisle and say, yeah, let's let's designate, let's designate a week and it's going to be the sales tax holiday. And maybe you could do it for a week around the Christmas holiday as well, you know, to encourage some of that shopping that people are going to be doing. Yeah, maybe we could give the taxpayers of Wisconsin a little bit of a break given the unprecedented economic times. And I use the word unprecedented and some people are saying, well, why would you say unprecedented? Look, I've heard that word for the last two years. That's been the justification that we've used for all these different economic policies, which have essentially encouraged people to stay home, spend money, and not work. Or, you know, stay home, don't pay your utility bills. Stay home. Don't You don't have to pay rent. Don't work. Don't do any of this stuff. And it's definitively and definitely led to this inflationary spiral that this country and this area is in. All right. All I'm saying is let's take a tax break for, for just a week. Let's help the average working person out. Why can't we get behind that? Back with more in just a couple minutes. Don't go anywhere. Jeff Wagner is back right after this. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. One of our texters says, do you really think those Republicans in the legislature would do this? Well, Republicans in the legislature and the Assembly passed a similar bill a year or two ago coming out of the pandemic. Um, so, yeah, that yes, I, I think these are a reasonable type of position. number of people are also texting in, making the point about, well, you know, you're, you're talking about like back to school things, and, and that's a great idea. But, you know, what about senior citizens who are living on fixed incomes and who've just been absolutely brutalized by the impact of inflation. And and yeah, that that would be a, a thing that would help senior citizens as as well. Look, and I understand the reality of this. I, I live in the real world and I appreciate that you you can't just 
take do away with the sales tax, you know, forever. But, you know, what's wrong with declaring, well, one of our listeners said, hey, maybe three weeks, one back to school, maybe one right around Thanksgiving, maybe one right around, you know, Christmas. What's wrong with a couple periodic um, moratoriums on collecting the sales tax to allow people to make purchases that, again, help them out when we're dealing with all these these times? So, you know, that that's, <clears throat> you know, that's it. And look, and I understand there's all sorts of ways that people are are figuring out, you know, how to deal with inflation and they're being, you know, forced to cut back and make all those decisions. And I, and I get that. I'm just saying that, you know, why can't we figure out a way where the government actually assists people in, in doing that? That's one of the reasons why I was pushing for a gas tax moratorium when gasoline was over five bucks a gallon. It's one of the reasons why I continue to agitate for an elimination of the minimum markup law, which to me, again, is is just it's just nothing but another tax on Wisconsinites. I mean, let the free market sort of operate. But part of the problem here is you have politicians who are just afraid of losing that revenue. You know, we we don't want to do away with the minimum markup law because it might lower the price of gasoline. Oh, wouldn't that be terrible? Or no, we don't want to have a gas tax moratorium because, well, that would reduce in less money coming in. Well, okay, maybe maybe that's not necessarily such a bad thing. Just saying. So sales tax holiday for a week or so, back to school, maybe around Christmas. I am all in favor of it. Maybe some of the politicians can can come out and address it, given the fact that when they're trying to get elected this November, it is the economy stupid, period. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. The coaches, the athletes, the volunteers, and of course, the joy that comes with it all. That's what you get with Special Olympics Wisconsin. Join Vince Vitrano as he leads our next WTMJ Cares effort. On August 22nd, you can bid on items that benefit Special Olympics Wisconsin. Just text the word CARES, C-A-R-E-S, to the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line to get a link to the great items that will be available. WTMJ Cares is sponsored by Gruber Law Offices. One call, that's all. All right, as Mike was just talking about, the new Marquette University Law School poll is out following the primaries. Um, I don't know that the numbers are very surprising. Keep this in mind because my prediction is the numbers in the only poll that really matters, which, of course, election, are going to be different than these here. And that's not a criticism of the Marquette University Law School poll. I understand where they're getting their numbers. I just think that the election come November is going to look very, very different. All right. The governor's race, essentially a dead heat. The margin of error for the poll is 4% which means it could go either way. The poll numbers say of registered voters, 45% support Tony Evers, 43% support Republican Tim Michaels. So that that is a statistical dead heat within the margin of error. And the numbers, well, they've actually moved a little bit towards Michaels. In mid-June, 48% supported Evers. That's now down to 45%. 41% supported Michaels. And now that's up to 43%. But again, you have an extremely tight race. 
And, and now the, the race is really on because keep in mind during the Republican primary, while there was criticism of Evers, really it was um, Tim Michaels running against Rebecca Clayfish and vice versa. So, you know, here, here you now have at the start, you're, you're looking pretty much at a, a dead heat statistically, and now the campaign really starts between the two of them. The other race that they poll on is the um, the race for U.S. Senate, Mandela Barnes and Ron Johnson. Um, among registered voters, they have Barnes up 51 percent, Johnson 44 percent. So that's it. Now, keep in mind, this is an interesting total to me. Now, obviously, if you are an incumbent, you, you don't want to be you know losing to the, the person that you're running against. So there's no question. You'd rather be you'd rather be the person that's ahead 51 to 44 percent. There's there's no question about it. At the same time, here, here's my takeaway on this. Ron Johnson has been beaten and battered um, in the mainstream media and by all these different attack ads and things like that, and he's still pulling 44% in the poll. On top of that, Mandela Barnes has pretty much had a free ride. There's really been no critical analysis or almost no critical analysis of where Mandela Barnes is on issues. And as I've been saying repeatedly, in Wisconsin, I think we, the voters in Wisconsin, we, have one of the most, the greatest choices between different candidates. Because Mandela Barnes, I mean, if you object to the term socialist, okay, that that's fine. But a lot of his views are, are clearly, I, I think, aligned with what a socialist position would be. Ron Johnson is to the contrary. Mandela Barnes really hasn't been vetted in any way, shape, or form. And once you start seeing the ads talking about the defund the police and abolish ICE and let's eliminate cash bail, my guess is that that 51% number is going to move. And you, you haven't seen that yet. So this is an interesting marking point for the campaign. Mandela Barnes, and you'd rather be ahead 51 to 44, even with a margin of error of 4%. But th- this campaign is is now just starting, and I will be shocked, absolutely shocked, if come election night in November, this election is not a lot closer than that. And I've said before, don't be surprised if Ron Johnson ends up winning. So, um, you know, here's that. That's what the numbers are out there right now. Essentially, a dead heat in the governor's race, and Mandela Barnes with a lead over Ron Johnson. But the people of Wisconsin really don't know Mandela Barnes yet. So we're, we're going to have a lot of t- time over the course of the next 10 weeks for the candidates to the voters to get to know the various candidates. And like I say, my guess is next time you see numbers, those numbers are going to probably be a little bit different than they are now. But this is a good benchmark to start the campaign. And people can understand exactly, you know, where they are. Do I think if the election were held today that, you know, again, toss up between Evers and Michaels, you know, six, five, pick them? Yeah, I think that might be the case. And that's what the numbers show. Mandela Barnes slightly ahead. But keep in mind also, I mean, Ron Johnson, uh, if you looked at the polls, 
Polls had Ron Johnson losing to Russ Feingold 12 years ago. Polls had Russ Feingold losing, winning over Ron Johnson six years ago. So I think this race is going to be a lot closer than some people might think, especially when the general public gets to know where Mandela Barnes is. But this is the starting point, and I think the sides should understand you know, where they are and We'll see where this turns out in November. When we come back, talk about throwing good money after bad. Stick around. Stick around. Jeff Wagner is right around the corner. Get that passport ready. WTMJ is sending you on a -a once-in-a-lifetime trip to see the green and gold play in London. You could qualify for this amazing trip to London. Very cool. Including airfare, hotel stay, transportation, and two tickets to the game at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Tune into Wisconsin's Morning News every day at 710 for your chance to win. It's the Great Britain Giveaway, only on 620 WTMJ. For official contest rules, visit WTMJ.com. All right, I understand every time we talk about wasteful just throwing government money around, taxpayer dollars around, and we say Milwaukee. I, I understand that the, the prize of that is, of course, the the streetcar, you know, Tom's Trolley Folly, the, the air cars that spent tens of millions of dollars and go absolutely nowhere. Interestingly enough, even the Biden administration wasn't willing to sign on to putting more good money after bad, and they turned down Milwaukee's bid for a streetcar extension, which is essentially, at least for the time being, killed that idea. You know, And, of course, it, it's good that it was, it was killed, at least in my opinion. So I, I understand we're talking about big dollars in that regard. So anything compare, pales in comparison to that. But this is something that a number of us have been screaming about for the last several years. Let me just start off with the basic premise that hope is not an economic strategy. Gee, I've I've invested in a piece of property and all of a sudden they found that their the property's contaminated and I thought I was going to be able to sell it and this property I bought for 10,000 I thought I would be able to sell it for $50,000 and now that they tell me it's only worth, you know, $100 if I can find somebody. Well, I I hope I hope that turns out to not be true. I hope the value goes up, right? Hope is not an economic strategy. You, you have to deal with that. Um, gee, I, I invested $20,000 of my hard-earned savings in the, this startup project, and the people were going to, they, they, had, they had this better mousetrap, and you know they were going to corner the market, and my $20,000 investment was going to turn into, I don't know, $2 million, and I wasn't going to have to work another day in my life, or $200 million or whatever, but it now turns out that the process that this company was touting, it doesn't work. It doesn't do what they hoped it did, so that $20,000 is worthless, but I'm hoping, I'm hoping it's going to turn around. Okay, hope is not an economic strategy, and that's sometimes you, you just have to learn it. People make bad decisions. Some of those bad decisions, you look back and you say, what were you thinking at the time? But hoping that a bad decision is going to somehow get made better never, ever works. When, we fir- when my parents first moved here, when I was a little kid, the there was a big Sears store on North Avenue, like like 23rd and, and North, and it was, 
it was the store. Like you had all the other Sears stores, you know, where America shops. But they were almost kind of like satellites to this giant Sears store that was on North Avenue. And if your local Sears store didn't have it, I grew up by Bayshore, and you wanted to, you, you went to the big Sears store on North Avenue. And it was a huge magnet that attracted people. Well, ultimately, the neighborhood declined. The Sears store went out of business. And that location has essentially been nothing for decades and decades and decades. I understand the concept that in that area of North Avenue, you would love to have some sort of business development that that brought all sorts of money in and helped revitalize the area. You hope that that would happen. Well, a number of years ago, a very, very prominent and well-politically-connected Milwaukee developer came up with this idea of turning that, that location where the old Sears store was, we're going to turn this into a high-end hotel. And, and we're going to, you know, revitalize the community because we're going to have all these rooms and we're going to charge $200 a night and we're going to have events there, you know, 180 days out of the year and we're, we're going to just completely revitalize this. Well, okay, that, that sounds really, really good. But the, the truth of the matter is this, this was never going to work. I mean, that's one of the most crime-plagued areas of the city. And without going into great detail about this, you know, who's going to suddenly – who's going to say, gee, I can stay in downtown Milwaukee at the Fister or wherever, um, or I'm going to spend $200 a night to go stay, you know, in, in this area where most people try to avoid driving through? That, that was just the reality. This hotel was always pie in the sky. Well, the the Common Council, with Tom Barrett being the mayor, they wanted it to work. And I understand. They wanted it to work. They wanted to have this economic development. So they approved a $4 million loan to help get this this off the ground. Later on, they approved another $5 million loan, but that was only going to kick in after the developer had found private financing. Well, for all intents and purposes, the developer never found private financing because nobody nobody would invest in this. This just never made economic sense. And I understand that you had the pandemic that kicked in here, but that didn't really change anything. This, this was just not the location where you were going to make some high-end hotel work. Period. Case closed. So now they've blown through pretty much all of the $4 million. The $4 million loan, which was, by the way, it was interest only. Well, it it came due. They were supposed to start making interest payments last year. So they got the Common Council said, okay, well, we're, we're going to give you more time. We're going to give you another year to go find independent financing, maybe to try to get this project off the ground. So they said, all right, we're, we're not going to start collecting even the interest on this, this loan. We'll delay it for a year. Well, that year is coming and quickly going. Um, September 1st, that, that year that they had the moratorium on paying the sales tax expires. And of course, the developer is no closer no closer to getting you know any sort of financing. This is just flat out not going to happen. It was never going to happen. It never made any sense. Matter of fact, there were a lot of people in the city that kept saying this never, in, including the mayor's office, that kept saying this just doesn't make any sort of economic sense at all to do it. But people hoped it would work because they wanted it to work. I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I, I'm, I'm hoping that investment that I made that just turns out to be worth nothing, I'm hoping I'm going to wake up and I'm going to see in the 
the newspaper that something's happened dramatically. Well, that was never going to happen, and that's not what's happening here. So here's the story in the local newspaper. The developer of a planned Milwaukee hotel would get more time to pay back a city loan to help finance the project under a new proposal. Kaylin Hayward Sr. is facing a September 1st deadline to begin repaying $3.79 million used to pursue the planned conversion of the former Sears store at 2100 West North Avenue into the 80-room Icon Hotel and Conference Center. Um, under the new proposal, reviewed by the City Development Authority, the operation would have until September 2023 to begin making payments. Um, The alternative is, you know, the city starts to foreclose on this. They say that, well, but giving him another year to begin loan payments buys more time for him to obtain additional financing to move forward on the hotel development. Okay, here, here's the bottom line of this. It, this is kind of like Northridge and, and this, this blue spruce group that's been saying for the last 20 years, we're going to start, we're going to do this, and we're going to renovate this, and we're going to turn this into this Asian trademark, and isn't going to be wonderful. And, and all they have is plans. That, that's, that's all they have. They have plans. They're not going to put a dime into that. And you've seen what's happened at Northridge. You could give this developer, I don't know, 10 years to start making payments back on the taxpayer loan, and they're not going to be in a position to do it because they're not going to find anybody else that's going to come in and put money into this because it didn't make sense a few years ago, and it hasn't made sense over the time. So the, the loan proceeds, the taxpayer dollars that were involved here, helped buying the property interior demolition. It went to the architects, of course, and it went to insurance and things like that. But they they haven't secured any additional financing, no private loans, no cash from investors, nothing to move the project forward. So at some point in time, don't you just have to say, okay, we we gave you, you're supposed to start making payments a year ago. We gave you an extra year. You haven't come any closer to being able to find any sort of private financing at all. You can give them another year, but all that means is it's going to be another year that the taxpayers are out. Bottom line is this is going to end up in foreclosure one way or the other. So why don't we just recognize that hope is not an economic strategy and, and do it now and then you know figure out what the next step is going to be instead of stringing this out year after year after year, just like we strung out what happened at Northridge. And again, I don't want to go back and relitigate the just frankly economically dumb decision to make this loan in the first place. I understand what they were trying to accomplish. They badly wanted redevelopment in a part of the city that needed it, but it never made any economic sense. It was never going to work. And to just keep continuing this, kicking the cat down the road, hoping that maybe something will happen, no. Just let's bite the bullet. Let's start collecting on the loan. If they can't make payments, then you foreclose and then you move to plan B. But not not collecting makes no sense. Back with more in just a minute. More Jeff Wagner right after this. A lesson in Midwest nice for you Hollywood types. Respect the boys in blue. Craig Council just got ejected. And always say goodbye before you go home. At the track, at the wall, bye-bye baseball. Well, seems like we could work on it too. WTMJ, W277-CV, and WKTI HD2 Milwaukee. From the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is News Radio WTMJ, a good karma brand station. 
The great thing about elections and all the pundits is that there comes a time when when you have the election and people understand who's right or who's wrong. So I'm I am willing to go out on the limb. I'm going to hit a button in just a minute to send out a tweet, which we will be able to see in November whether or not this tweet ages well or not. And that's okay. But here's what the tweet says. I predict that today's Marquette University Law School poll is the high water point for the Barnes campaign and that once the public learns more about him and his Green New Deal, his support for abolishing ICE, his plan to eliminate cash bail, and much, much more, the numbers will change. Well, time will tell. And you can decide, but we're going to know in November. I'll back, I'm back right after the news. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good after- <clears throat> afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So, Mike Spalding, before you leave, let, let's take us. Let's take a little trip into the time machine, into the not too distant past. Do you remember the Super Bowl? Did you watch vaguely? The, yeah, no, okay. I did. Yes. Did, did you watch the Super Bowl? Yes. Okay. And of course, you people watch the game, but they also watch the ads and stuff. Do you remember what the, the dominant ads were during the Super Bowl that you just saw? It seemed like every third ad was promoting something. Crypto. Crypto. Yeah. Cryptocurrency. Remember, you had you had the the ad for Larry David, who was being you know, and it was like he was you know like mocking all these things, and they were laughing at him. How dare you do that, Matt Damon? Mm-hmm. Sixty five million dollars in advertising that Matt Damon thing, where like fortune favors the brave, you know, and all that. Just here, invest in all that. LeBron James. I mean, just go through the list. Ashton of, Kutcher, I think, right, Ashton, was in one of them. He, He's a he, big. He was in one of them, right? Um, a number of these other celebrities. Liberties that are there, but it was, Damon was the big one. Tom Brady, mm-hmm. where Tom Brady did that. So remember all those different ads and crypto this and crypto that. When's the last time you saw a crypto ad? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, that wasn't on Twitter. It's been a while. It's been a while, right? Exactly. There's a big story in the business talking about how crypto ads starring Matt Damon, Tom Brady, LeBron James, Larry David have all vanished completely and totally vanished. Um, in part because all this fortune favors the brave stuff and all, the crypto market just completely and totally imploded. And now, um, number one, it's, first of all, we're, we're not going to spend money advertising. It's secondly, nobody is going to believe us after we ran all these campaigns. But you, you, I guess, see, this is the thing that bothers me about this stuff. The, the people that saw that ad and see, you know, Matt Damon saying fortune favors the brave, and then they, they take half their life savings and invest in crypto, and then they just get killed by this. And it's kind of like, well, you know, um, fortune doesn't help the, the dumb. And if you're, buying, if you're buying this product because Matt Damon says you should do it, Maybe you need to rethink your economic priorities. Yeah, I don't think I'm looking to Hollywood necessarily for my retirement uh, savings information or investing in the next dominant form of currency. I, yeah, that's not for me. Yeah, I just I just point that out because it was th- this was the big thing. And as somebody who has been mocking cryptocurrency since the beginning, and it gets, it's one of those things that. I, I I just if it's something that I can't don't understand and I can't explain to somebody in like two sentences, I'm not putting my money mm-hmm. in it. Now that if, if other people want to do that, that's fine. But I just remember seeing all these ads during the Super Bowl with all these high paid spokesmen and these fancy glittery ads and I kept wondering, man, I wonder how many people are gonna 
guppy on this. And again, if, if you decide you want to make that choice and you're getting in and you're knowing what you're dealing with, that's one thing. But I just think that there are a lot of people who, oh, Matt Damon says fortune favors the brave, and Larry David ad implies that you're going to miss out on this thing who jumped in and just got absolutely creamed with money they couldn't afford to lose. Yeah, I'm no brilliant uh, investor by any means. I didn't think Uber was going to work. Like, for example, sure. I just I just couldn't wrap my mind around why you do that and obviously prove very wrong. But the crypto thing, I'm with you. If you can't explain it in three sentences, what it actually is and does... I'm probably going to be out. Yeah, I missed the coffee cart thing. I, I didn't, I and I acknowledge in the early 80s before Starbucks took over, I have told the story before, I, I had, this is, I, this is before I had any money at all, and so I was just starting to practice law, and somebody wanted me to put up a couple thousand dollars to help get a, get a coffee cart in some downtown office building, and I'm, and the idea was, okay, you're going to have people that are going to spend $4 for like flavored coffee and all, and I'm going, huh? You know, I didn't didn't get it, and so I, I kept my couple thousand dollars. But it's crypto is just a completely different thing. So if you you know again, maybe if if you're out on YouTube or something like that, you'll see them. But that those ads, you know, we talk about tweets that did not age well. Well, some of those ads did not age well. All right, a political story, and then we're going to kind of move on to some other stuff. The the yesterday was. I think it was the last round of of primaries. I'm not sure there's any more primary elections that are still out there before November. But the two of of interest, one is in Alaska. Alaska has one congressional representative and Sarah Palin, former governor of Alaska. She is one of the two candidates that advanced to the general election. I don't know that there's any surprise there, but, you know, Sarah Palin making a bit of a political comeback. The other story that isn't surprising— but yet getting a ton of attention is that Liz Cheney, who is, of course, the daughter of former Vice President Dick Cheney, um, Liz Cheney, who represented when Wyoming is another state that because of the small population only has one congressperson. Liz Cheney was the congressperson from Wyoming. Liz Cheney has also been the the face of of the Republican never Trump stuff that, that's out there. And she has made well, sort of a national reputation for herself beyond what her reputation was before that um, as being she voted for the impeachment of Donald Trump. And she's been one of the the leading faces on the, this January 6th committee you know, going after Donald Trump. Well, I mean, that came with some degree of political risk. Liz Cheney, um, represents the state of Wyoming. The state of Wyoming is a state that went for Donald Trump by 40 points. I think it was the, the, the LAR in 2020. So it was the state that supported Donald Trump by the widest margin of any state, and she was clearly swimming against the stream. She got crushed in the primary yesterday, just absolutely crushed. She lost by almost 40 points. It was just, it was a staggering staggering defeat. And so she'll finish out her term in Congress. And then, you know, after the start of the year, she will move on to future endeavors. She, on her way out, likened herself to Abraham Lincoln and is talking seriously about mounting a run for the presidency. Okay, our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, now clearly, Liz Cheney, has a degree of appeal to the the, the never-Trump element 
of the Republican Party. There, there's no question uh, about that. Now, whether that's a majority of the party or a minority of the party, I guess you know people can argue about that. But of all the different people that are out there talking about running for president, some are serious, some less serious, some just like to have their name circulated. Let me ask you this question. Does Liz Cheney have any chance in the world of securing the Republican nomination to run for president in 2024. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this now I, I suspect that Liz Cheney, quite candidly, given the the role that she's carved out, I, I'm sure that she will have a, a role and continue to have a role in politics. And I wouldn't be surprised to see her, you know, appearing on TV shows like The View or maybe a contributor on MSNBC or something like that. But as a political force in this country, is this the end of Liz Cheney? 855-616-1620. And if your answer to that question is anything other than, yeah, her, her political career is pretty much over, I'll be curious as to why you think that. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Stay tuned. Jeff Wagner returns after this on WTMJ. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, so last night, the Wyoming primary election, Liz Cheney, daughter of uh, former Vice President Dick Cheney, and and sort of the public face of the pro impeachment aggressively, let's put Donald Trump in jail wing of the Republican Party. I'm not sure how big that wing is. She just got smoked. I mean, just got absolutely stomped. And on her way out, she quotes Abraham Lincoln and is hinting that she might run for president. I think she has a role in national politics. My take is that that role is as a commentator and maybe she gets a gig on CNN or MSNBC. I think as as a political candidate, her career ended yesterday, and talk of her running as running for president. My, my question would be: Okay, who's she going to run for president with? She's she's not going to run as a Democrat because she's really still not a Democrat, and Democrats aren't going to trust her and support her and vote for her. And how, how do you how do you run as a Republican when you have been? as aggressively anti-Trump as she has has been. 855-616-1620. And this is, I mean, look, I, I applaud her. If she, if she thinks that this is the direction her conscience required her to take, that, that, that's fine. I, I get it. But to think that you're going to be able to now turn around in two years and get, for example, the Republican nomination, I just don't see it happening. Tom, Tom, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon. Um, oh, first of all, um, I, I watched, uh, I didn't watch the trials, you know, back to back and start to finish, sure. anything like that. But I watched the opening arguments and I thought that she put forth such a succinct argument um, about what happened on January 6th. Mm-hmm. Um, the woman clearly has a lot on the ball. Um, I, I'm a lifelong Democrat. I, I'd cross, I'd cross parties to vote for her. That's how sharp I think she is. And I don't think I'm alone. I think there's, uh, I, I think Wyoming is a, a real peculiar, particular place. You look at this entire nation and the way that the nation sees the future, um, or the lack thereof. Um, I, 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 I think, I think she could pull it off. Okay. So your theory, the your theory would be that there would be enough 
people like you, lifelong Democrats, who would bail on whoever the Democratic candidate was, whether it's Biden or Vice President Harris or Elizabeth Warren or whatever, and cross over and, and vote for her. That that would be where her base, you think, might come from? I think it's quite possible, but I think I, I, I also think I feel the same way about um, about the Republican base. And I think that um, come 2024, this is going to be a very interesting place to be being in the city of Milwaukee. Um, uh, the, you know, no, no, Tom, thanks for the call. I, I, I love the word interesting, and I, I know I use that a lot. I mean, I think actually, if, if you want to do what I do for a living, which is you know, talk about current events and politics and things like that, that Wisconsin, you, you can't find a better place than Wisconsin to do it because we are such a swing state and we are so closely divided. I guess I just as, as people are trying to, to map out a political campaign and you ask where your constituency is, <clears throat> if I'm talking to Liz Cheney, it's like, okay, I- explain to me how you're going to win Republican primaries. Are you going to have enough people like Tom, who are lifetime-long Democrats, who are, are going to bail on their their party and their candidates and go over to Liz Cheney. And Liz Cheney, I mean, I would describe her as a conservative. I, I don't I, I mean, I don't buy this idea that she's a rhino or anything like that. I mean, I think she's she is a conservative, but she has risen to national attention as being the the face of the let's let's put Donald Trump in prison wing of the Republican Party. And I'm just not sure that's a big enough wing, even with people like Tom crossing over to, to get you anywhere. Let's talk to Chris. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Um, yeah, I'd agree. I think she's a, a great conservative, and I, I would vote for her in a second. And the fact that she seems to have some integrity, I don't know if it's so much that she's anti-Trump, but I think she's just pro-integrity. Um, I wish more Republicans were like that, and I could continue to vote Republican, but I can't vote Republican for some of these guys right now that keep going along with the Trump lie. Um, but I, I, fortunately, I don't think she's got a real chance of getting a Republican nomination based on the fact that people in her own state won't even vote for her. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, th- thanks. So. I think that I, I, yeah. I agree. I don't see the, I, I don't see the the strategy moving forward. Now, I, I understand that that the position she's taken. Um, is going to she's going to be and she already has become like the the darling of the mainstream media and things like that and 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 I'm not being critical of that that that's fine that's the position that she finds herself in but how you translate that into a constituency and let's face it you you need a constituency to get yourself elected and if you're running as a Republican and your idea is well I'm going to get like swing votes I'm going to get people that that's what they tried to do in Wyoming they they tried to get hey we want Democrats to come over and and vote for her. Well, she lost by 40 points. And I appreciate that Wyoming is is not necessarily an indicator of the way the country is going to go. But I mean, where where is the constituency? How do you raise money? People might applaud her and say, hey, we, we like what you're doing and we agree with you and we appreciate the, the moral courage it took to vote to impeach Donald Trump. But that's far different than saying we're going to write out a check and we're going to you know work with you to campaign to, to get yourself elected. And, and by the way, Trump remains, for better or worse, Trump remains a, a force in the Republican Party. Explain to me how— 
um, when you have a large number of Republicans who aren't going to support her, how you can translate that into an electoral victory. I mean, so again, regardless of how you feel about Liz Cheney, all this talk about I'm going to run for president. Well, anybody can run for president. Can you win? That's a whole different story. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Jim. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Um, I'm with you. I don't think that she can win the nomination. Um, But there might be another strategy at play here. Um, You know, she is so anti-Trump, and and we know what she's doing with the committee and her stance and all of that. Perhaps she's considering, you know, just getting into the race to maintain that anti-Trump voice. She is going to get some funding to do that. Mm -hmm. If she makes the debate stage, she can talk, you know, anti-Trump. Um, but there may be something there to that where she can stay relevant, keep this movement relevant, and, and, and make it a topic of conversation just long enough to create doubt that, uh, you know, he's suitable to, to be reelected again in 2024. Yeah, I guess maybe that's that's a. I mean, I, I, never having run for president, I don't know what, what all that entails, but it, it seems like that's a lot of work. Plus, you know, you raise an interesting point. Who knows what the world's going to look like in 2024? You know, that's, that, that's, the, that's the thing. Will, will, will Trump be running in 2024? We, we don't know that. Will Trump be in jail in 2024? We don't know any of those sort of things. I guess it, it's, you, you, you do have to kind of wait and see how all this plays out because, again, who would have thought that Donald? Who would have thought in 2014 that Donald Trump was going to get elected president in 2016? Right, right. Uh, unless you watch Back to the Future, you know, uh, two <laughs> several years ago. <laughs> but right, uh, right. yeah, no, I, th- I think it. You're right. You're right about that. I mean, she, she. There's a lot to it, but I think the world could change, and if she's got some momentum, who knows? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, at some point in time, I, I think, and, and I don't. I don't fault her for this. I just think it, it's kind of the reality. At some point in time, though, you you end up poisoning the well. And, and by that, I mean her her militant positions that she's taken, I think, has, has turned off a, a huge segment of the Republican Party. And, and, and again, maybe it's a profile and courage moment. I'm not criticizing that or whatever. But I don't see how you ever end up getting that, that huge portion of, of people back. And I just don't think that there's enough people that are going to cross over. Could she have some appeal among independents? Well, well, absolutely. But I just, I think that if you were asking me, let's take Trump out of the equation for a moment. If you're asking me to name the, the top 10 or 15 candidates, 15, who are most likely to secure the Republican nomination in 2024, Liz Cheney is just is flattened out on that list. And, and you know, I was saying this to Steve Scafidi earlier, and I, I stand by this. Obviously, her view on impeachment and the front and center role she's taken on, on with the January 6th committee, that, that hurt her in Wyoming. I do think also— and this is a lesson for all politicians everywhere. Politics at the end of the day is local. And I said this earlier, I think one of the things that hurt Scott Walker when he ran for reelection in 2018, and there was a lot of factors as to why he lost, but I think that there were some people who became very disillusioned when after he got reelected in 2014, he immediately turned around and ran for president. I think there were a lot of people who said, well, wait a second, you know, we've just worked really hard on getting you elected, getting you through the recall, and then getting you reelected, and now you're running for president. A lot of people, I thought, 
think felt betrayed by that. I think there were a lot of people in Wyoming who felt, regardless of the sincerity of her beliefs, that she was starting to play more to that national audience than she was to her constituency in Wyoming. And that's something that, that voters don't forgive. I, you're going to hear a lot more about Liz Cheney moving forward. Um, whether it's as a successful political candidate or not, I, I tend to doubt it. Back with more in just a minute. Stay tuned. Jeff Wagner returns after this on WTMJ. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. High inflation, recession threats, and a parade of bad news. It's enough to make you lose sleep. It's no secret. Many Americans are worried about the state of the economy. Join Dave Spano from Annex Wealth Management, along with our very own John McCure, for Navigating the Markets, a special webinar presentation on Wednesday, August 24th at 11 a.m. It's a one-hour, 30,000-foot view of current market trends with a discussion of what to expect the rest of the year. Sign up at WTMJ.com. Navigating the Markets from Annex Wealth Management. And 620 WTMJ. All right. So th- this morning, in addition to doing a number of other things, I, I had um, I-, I was I was booking a plane flight for my wife and I to go to Florida in early January, and so I was. When, whenever you book plane tickets, and let's face it, air travel to the extent it, it was ever fun, air travel nowadays is just is just no fun. I mean, it's just the the flights are congested. Um, you're always wondering about, is there going to be some storm somewhere which causes a nationwide delay? If I check my bags, are my bags going to get there? I mean, it's just, uh, am I going to be crammed in with the the guy that's sitting there with the screaming child? You know, all all these different factors. And so I I go into a, a plane trip with very, very limited expectations. It's like, I want the plane to leave on time. I want it to land when it's supposed to. And if my bags are there when I get off the plane, that that is a plus. Now, I mean, I have to say my my last several plane trips have have worked out fine. My most recent flight was when we took our listener trip a couple weeks ago to Alaska. And we went from Milwaukee to Chicago and Chicago to Anchorage and everything worked out out fine. So it, it it was great that way. But when you're making plane reservations and you're deciding what airline to fly, there's a number of different considerations that that you have. And this always, especially if you're going to a place where you have different choices, and it's always running through my head, okay, what what are the most important things? And I was thinking about this because there was a story in the Wall Street Journal today about how more and more airlines are, are charging more for extra legroom. Now, they're, they're creating like a separate class of seats on some of the planes where you're, you're not quite as crowded. It's not like first class or anything like that or even business class, but there's a, like an economy plus where there's a little bit more leg room. And, and take it from me, if you're 6'1", 205 pounds, you, you know, you, you enjoy having a little bit more leg room. That, that's a nice sort of thing. So leg room is a factor. There's always the considerations about, you know, whether or not you have to pay for baggage. When we flew to Anchorage um, for the trip, we were flying on United. I haven't been on United in years. The flight was fine, but United charges for bags. So my wife and I, our suitcases were 35 bucks a piece. So, you know, that's 70 bucks, you know, to, to take your, your luggage with you. For example, Southwest, you know, bags fly free. You, you have those different sort of things. The extra leg room, if you get it, is, is nice. 
there's all sorts of different factors that play in. And this story is just talking about some of the decisions and some of the factors that people have in, in deciding, you know, what airline they're going to fly. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're planning a trip that involves flying, and, and sometimes you, you might just not have any choices. It, it might be that if, if you're going to fly, there's only one way that you can get there. You don't really have any choices. There's one way that you can get there. But for a lot of places, if you're going to, for example, most places in Florida, or you're going to Arizona, or you're going to Vegas or, or whatever, you, you have multiple choices. There's multiple airlines you can look at. There's multiple ways you can get there. My question to you is, as you're deciding to take a trip, what is the number one factor in your mind in deciding what airline you're going to fly on and what what you're going to book? Is it is it cost? Is it, I don't know, uh, direct flights? Is it bags fly free? Is it extra leg room? At the end of the day, what is your, I'm going to call it a voting issue, when you're deciding what plane trip to take, what is the driving factor in your decision? For me, it, I'll tell you that in just a minute because there's, there's one that supersedes pretty much everything else. What's yours? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. More Jeff Wagner right after this. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, so this morning I was making arrangements. I was, I was booking a, a, a flight for Fran and me to Florida in early January. And I, again, I always go through this. I mean, what what are the, the principal considerations? And I, I got started thinking about this because there's some planes that are now advertising, some airlines saying, hey, you're going to have a little bit of extra leg room. And believe me, ex, ex, when you're, like I say, when you're 6'1", 205 pounds, you know, extra leg room comes in nice. But that's I got to admit that that's not going to move the needle for me. Matter of fact, that's kind of way down the line. Bags fly free. That that's nice, but flew United to Anchorage not that long ago, and it was thirty five bucks a bag. And okay, that's that's an extra seventy dollars that you wish you didn't spend. But that 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 wasn't the factor for me. It's one thing. What is it for you? What's the principal thing that causes you to decide? I'm going to fly this airline at this time. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Bob. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Bob. I, um, I look for the, sh- the shortest duration from time I take off until the time I land at my destination. I want that to be either nonstop or short. So you don't you I don't, don't want layovers yeah. for two hours. Yeah, I had a when we went to Alaska, it was Milwaukee to Chicago, Chicago to Anchorage, there's a four hour layover in Chicago. You know, and it's that's so you're yeah, killing you're killing four hours and then you're on a six and a half hour flight. It's a long time in airports, no question about it. Yeah. Yeah, I try to avoid that. It's that's the deal breaker for me. Got it. Thanks for call. Okay, eight five five six one six one six twenty. Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, my main uh, direct, I want to be a direct flight with uh, no layovers, and hopefully my luggage is with me on the plane. Yeah, so the, the direct flight is, is your is your big one. That's the big one for me. Yeah, Mike, thanks for calling. I'm, I'm with you. I, actually, I mean, all the other stuff is nice. Now, look, I understand if, if you're talking about like a several hundred dollar difference to fly a direct versus having to make a connection. Okay, that's fine. But but generally speaking, that's not the case. And 
all things being equal, I will pay a little bit more to fly direct. I, I'm exactly with you. It, it's the idea of when it seems to me I, I want it to be as hassle-free as possible, and whenever you have connections, you just ratchet up the chance for hassle j- just dramatically. Because again, you know, you you, you get stuck. You know, you got to transfer in. Baltimore, you got to transfer in Atlanta, you got to transfer in Dallas or wherever this is, and something happens. It just doubles, triples, exponentially increases the chances that something's going to happen and your luggage is going to get lost. So that was that's actually my factor as well. It's one of the reasons, and I don't mean this to be an, an ad, because I, I, it's one of the reasons why we almost, uh, from most of the places we go, Southwest for me is the first one I look at because Southwest flies direct to the places I go. Southwest flies direct to Southwest Florida. That's where I go. Southwest flies direct to Las Vegas. I'm going to Las Vegas with my brother and sister, my brother and my brother and sister-in-law um, in, in early October and my wife. And and so it flies direct to the places that I go a lot. So I tend to, to go and I they always offer you know, a couple different nonstop flights, um, some more than others, depending on what the season is. But I, I tend to I tend to look first at is there a nonstop flight, and and that's what I want to go on because I want to eliminate that that hassle factor. So again, it's nice to have the extra leg room and stuff. It's nice to have the bags fly free, but I I would rather pay seventy bucks to tra- send my bags and have a direct flight than have to make that connection. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Stacy, Stacy, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Well, I saw your screener. It kind of depends on the flight. Um, direct is is way up there in importance to me. Um, Florida, I can give up some, you know, fancy accommodations, you know, like maybe the movies and stuff because it's a short right. flight. But I'm flying to right. Spain next week, and so we're looking at eight and a half hours there and uh, ten and a half coming back. Right. So there are amenities, right. you know, such as the movies on the airplane, you know, kind of, inch up there in importance and entertainment for such a long flight. Um, I do pay a little bit more to have direct flights, for sure. It lessens the opportunity for them to lose my luggage. Um, and less sitting around time in airports. So, what, uh, what airline are you but, flying to Spain next week? American. American, yeah, okay. That's... It, yeah, yeah. And, and I'm really glad I'm doing it when, you know, and you keep hearing about all these horrible... You know, delays and lost luggage, and you know, like I said, I've got a family of four going. So (laughs) you've got kids, yeah. The better, yeah. You've got kids. So where do you fly? Where are you flying? Chicago to somewhere? Chicago to what? Barcelona. Barcelona. Uh, Barcelona. Well, have a great no. Have have a great trip. No, thanks for calling. No, yeah, especially you know. See, that's the other thing. It's it's one thing if it's just grown ups. You know, if it's if it's you and your spouse. Okay, you you know you, you don't want to get delayed, but man, if if you're you you put kids into that equation and you you get delayed or you get stuck in, oh, uh, I don't know. It, Again, you know, it's just it's just too late. The pilots have gotten backed up, so you're spending the night in, you know, the Baltimore airport. That's that's kind of tough. Um, we are inundated with different texts on this. Um, I think the the vast majority of people are, are saying, you know, direct. You know, direct flights is what they, you know, look at. A couple people are saying that, you know, that the, the price, that they are price sensitive on this. But even, you got to be careful with that. And I'm not knocking the, the big discounters, but even with the discounters, uh, you know, you, if 
you get charged for having a carry-on bag. You get charged for, you know, if you want to check your luggage. You get charged for a lot of stuff. So sometimes the discounts, <clears throat> you know, aren't aren't as great as as you want. Um, and again, I just, but I've reached the point in my life where I'm willing to pay a little bit more for the convenience of flying direct. And and actually, if you shop around a little bit, one of the reasons I booked tickets today is I was just kind of looking for when I wanted to do this, and I was checking it out, and the, the prices were just absolutely great, and I was able to pay for frequent flyer miles, and so it ended up costing me like $61 because I wanted to upgrade and get the early bird booking and, and, and not that many miles. So I, I, it's kind of interesting to me when you see all these stories about how these airlines are figuring out ways they can keep customers and stuff like that, and they say, okay, it's more leg room or it's this or that or the other thing. That's all nice, but I don't think that's what moves the needle. I think for the majority of us, it is convenience. Get us there as quickly as possible with the least hassle possible. And for me, the best way you can do it is a direct flight. Stick around. Jeff Wagner is right around the corner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So very glad to have you with us. Hey, here, here's a really, I, I think it's, it's a great story. Um, we're, we're all still trying to come back from the pandemic. And if you talk to lots of Lots of businesses that depend on on public support. What they'll tell you is that, that people are coming back. There's pent up demand to get out and to socialize and to, to have a, a return to normalcy. But yet, there's still some people who, for a variety of reasons, are maybe uncomfortable being in crowds or uh, because of the inflationary effects, they've had to cut back on some discretionary stuff. And, and 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 you're seeing that. I mean, there's big movements in the arts community to try to you know get people back to where it was in 2019. And you know, we saw that with Summerfest earlier this year, and I'm a huge fan of Summerfest, but the numbers the numbers were down, and there's a lot of reasons behind that, and the folks that run Summerfest and the board are really, really smart people, and they'll kind of look at the numbers and I think figure out, okay, you know, what what do we need to do? Is this kind of an aberration? Do we continue with like the three different, you know, the Summerfest over, you know, three weeks or, or whatever? But interestingly enough, the Wisconsin State Fair has just released their numbers, and they're back over a million fairgoers. Uh, the numbers are out. The Wisconsin State Fair says that this year's fair attracted 1,003,450 fairgoers. Nice number. Uh, that is a 19% increase over the 2021 attendance. Now, in, in 20, keep in mind, they didn't have it in, in 2020. So 2019 was the last kind of pre-COVID year. Um, 1.1 million fairgoers uh, attended. And, and that's, a, that's a big number. They didn't have it in 2020. In 2021, which was really the, the first year back, and remember we were still kind of coming out of that, they, they drew 841,000 visitors, which I think was, was a, a very, very respectable number. But this year, I mean, it's back. Uh, 1,003,450, that's a 19% increase over the 2021 attendance. And while it's a, a little bit below where it was in the the pre-pandemic year, it it still it shows signs of the state fair coming back, and it's one of the indicators that I think 
people are ready to get out. People are ready to start experiencing normal again, and people are also looking for value. And the truth of the matter is that the state fair, I think, offers a, a lot of value to people. And I'm not saying that if you go down to the Midway, you, you can't drop a whole bunch of money. But in general, I think there's very cost-effective things that you can do. You can find, you can bring food in to certain circumstances if you want. And again, it's it just, I'm thrilled as a fan of the State Fair and as somebody who works at the State Fair, you know, doing our broadcasts, I'm just really thrilled to see that the numbers starting to come back. They're not quite at pre-pandemic levels, but, you know, they're up almost 20% from last year. And that's, that's a good sign, and I think it, it bodes well for the fair in the future, moving forward. Okay, I have never, if you're a regular listener to this program, you know that I'm not a car guy like some people are, are car guys. To me, I, I've always wanted a, a nice vehicle that's reliable, but I view cars kind of as transportation. I, I, want, I want the car to have the bells and whistles that I want on it, and I admit I've gotten spoiled as, as I get older and you know more dependent on the, the, the backup cameras and things like that and the nice sound system, but I, I've, never, I've never felt this obligation to have, oh, the, the sportiest car or whatever, which is one of the reasons why I own SUVs. Uh, but at the same time, I, I appreciate those of you that really really love different types of cars, particularly the muscle cars. The Washington Post has a story today. It's the end of the era. era. Dodge has just announced that next year it's going to stop making gas-powered Dodge Chargers and Dodge Challengers, um, ending an era for a brand that really helped define what the muscle car was. Um, these these various models are going to transition out of their lineup in 2023 with the release of what they say are seven heritage models, each bearing a plaque with last call under the hood. Um, the, Dot, the Charger and Challenger are part of a generation of cars with powerful engines and muscular styling made popular about 40 or 50 years ago. And, you know, the, the historical muscle cars were the Ford Mustang, the Pontiac GTO, and ones like that. Well, as, as emission controls get tighter and tighter, and as there's this huge push to go to electric vehicles and stuff, you have more major automakers. They're invested heavily in, in hybrid and elective model, electric models. They're pouring billions of dollars into infrastructure. And as a result of that, what you're seeing is that they're, they're, they're moving away from these traditional type of muscle cars. The seventh and final model um, that uh, of the Challenger that Dodge describes as the very last of its kind, that's, um, that's going to be debuting in a couple months, and they're going to just distribute them to the dealerships, and then once they're gone, they're gone. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It really kind of is the end of of an era. And I understand why this is happening. I understand that, again, there's this push to move to the electric vehicles, and there's this push to try to conserve gas and save the planet and all those types of things. But for people who grew up 
driving those muscle cars, I'm not sure that people are ready to give them up. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, Dodge says this is it for the Charger. This is it for the Challenger. Ford has already gone to an all-electric Mustang. A lot of those other typical muscle cars that many of us grew up with, well, they've been gone for a long time. Is there still a market for this type of vehicle? 855-616-1620. I mean, I understand we're all going electric and things like that, but is there still a market for that traditional muscle car? And if so, who is it? We discuss in just a minute. 855-616-1620. This is Jeff Wagner. Don't go anywhere. Jeff Wagner is back right after this. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Well, it is the end of the era. Uh, Dodge announcing today that they are going to discontinue their classic muscle cars, their Dodge Charger, their Dodge Challenger. They're going to be coming out with one last edition this year, um, and then then that's going to be it. And, of course, you, you've seen that with lots of other vehicles as well. I mean, they still have Mustangs, but now I believe they're all electric. Jeff, I have a 1965 Mustang. I'm going to keep it forever. Young people are not interested in muscle cars. I'm 63 years old, and my late hubby gave me this car 10 years ago. 855-616-1620. Okay, are muscle cars going to go away, or is there still a market out there for these big, loud, fast, gas-hogging vehicles? Let's start with Ed. Ed, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, how you doing? I'm well, thanks. What's Is hey, there still, is there, hey, still a know, market? For, go ahead. Oh, my God, there is. There is. Hey, listen, I'm in my 60s. I got a 2017 Mustang. I just had modified. The market is just filled with go-fast parts. In this car, you can drive all day long. doesn't consume much gas, and it's 828 horsepower to the rear wheels. What do you think of that? Well, I think it, I think it moves. I think it moves. Do you drive it year-round or just in the summer? No, of course it's a summer car, you know, uh, right. but it's 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 so functional and and it's it's just so huge, you know. You you talk about this and there's still so many cars out there. Besides that, I also own a '67 Camaro that I've had for my, over 20 years plus. So right, right. No, it is out there. Is yeah, yeah. No, so. no th- thanks for calling. No, I, I think you're. I I think there is there is always going to be a market for these types of. Of vehicles, Jeff. I have a big problem with this because this is not consumer driven. I own a 19 Mustang. Um, you can't replace the sound and the feel of the V8 with an electric muscle car. Guys, I know have limited interest or zero interest in going electric. Well, that's that is. See, that's the interesting aspect about this because the the texture is exactly right. This is not market driven. This is government-driven. By government-driven, I mean there's these incredible mileage standards that are going in, and, and you're just, you, you can't meet those mileage standards and make SUVs that, that people still you know, want. A lot of people want to drive SUVs. You can't make the muscle cars and, and still meet the mileage standards that you have to do. So as a result, because we're, we're not ready to go electric, and I understand that there's some of you, we'll do this as a topic in the next day or so. A friend of mine just bought an electric car. But I, I, I understand that, you know, people, you know, 
there's this push to try to force people into going electric. But I just don't think we're ready for that now. But these mileage standards that the government is putting in is requiring these automakers to get rid of the muscle cars and things like that because, you know, they, they get such lousy gas mileage, even though it's a decision that people are ending up making, that even though there's a market for it, you're not going to be able to buy it. At least you're not going to be able to buy it new, which all that does is really just, you know, jump up the, the used car market for this. Let's talk to Robert. Robert, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Thanks for taking the call. Hi, Robert. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm going to disagree with you on a couple of things. Uh, I, I don't know what direction you're going, but the, those two cars, um, yeah, they're muscle cars. They're not very good cars uh, in the big picture. They look nice and they go fast, but overall, uh, I own a couple muscle cars and you know, those things are yawners. Um, and Dodge and Chrysler did this. They they did the, this a number of years ago. They, you know, they got rid of those cars, and then they brought them back in a reissue. And I suspect this is a bunch of smoke that you'll see these cars reissued probably in two or three years. You know, maybe they're a hybrid or maybe they're limited edition, but I don't think they're going to go away. I think this is they need some news. And I think that's what this is. Oh, so this stuff, the, the plaques and stuff, last call, this is it. You just think it's a marketing thing. And three years from now, they'll be bringing them back with much acclaim. Uh, how many times has Kiss been on a farewell tour and <laughs> Motley Crue? Yeah, I think this is in the same vein. Okay. Okay, so what now? You, you said these are crummy muscle cars. Okay, what, in your mind, what, what's, what's a true muscle car? Well, if you go out by a... Um, uh, Mustang Shelby and the in the uh, Super Snake, or you know, mm. head over to Thienesville and go into their Ford dealership. They're still selling them, and they're pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, so, the Dodge product is what it is. It's it's a cheap man's muscle car. But what uh, can I say? Got it. Thanks for the call, Robert. Jeff, I'm 28. I just bought a twin turbo 2007 Corvette earlier this year as a summer car, and I still love it. Okay, now, this shows you do what I do for a living, and you get all these tweets, the texts that come in. All right, that is immediately followed. So here's a guy, 28 years old, just bought a, a 2008 Corvette as a summer car, loves it. The next tweet that comes in says, geezers still buy Corvettes. It's a midlife crisis car. <laughs> so, okay, I don't know. When you're 28 years old, I guess you can have your midlife crisis along with that. But that's, that's the, the different things. Um, one of our other texters says the point that our last caller, Robert, just made. Uh, they quit making these cars years ago, just brought them back in 2008. I think it's going to be tougher this time, again, with the admission standards um, in connection with this. Jeff, I think it's a dying market. The definition of muscle has definitely changed. Jeff, I'm six. 60-something, and I was a child during the muscle car era, and I still love them. However, after driving a Polestar 2 with dual motors, I've got to say this is the new muscle car and costs less than $5 to charge up and gets 300 miles of range. Well, you know, that's the thing for people who are ready to move to the electric, you know, they're going to end up loving it. Bottom line of this is, if you're a fan of the Chargers, if you're a fan of the Challengers, the cars, that is, not the team, um, what you need to do is you need to say, okay, maybe this is the last dance. I know one of our callers says, well, they'll they'll probably bring him back in a couple years. Maybe, maybe not. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. More Jeff Wagner right after this. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. (laughs) 
so very glad to have you with us. Hey, an ind- local industry, radio industry news, you maybe saw it this yesterday. We, This market has had three sports talk radio stations, and of course we, we are one of them. We are the ESPN affiliate. Um, the, the, there was one called the, the Fan, 1250 AM, and they just announced yesterday that uh, they're ending local programming, and they've ended up laying off their entire staff um, as they're going to national sports radio. And uh, this is, it's always one of these things where I understand it's a competitor and it's difficult to talk about that, but th- this is just, it's a brutal industry. And, and this this happens, and you really, I, I think it's something that you appreciate, especially if you've been able to like do a radio show in this market as long as I have, but you just appreciate and you really thank your lucky stars for the audience and all because, you know, you have a lot of people who suddenly it's through no fault of their own and they're doing a good job or whatever, but you have the company that just ends up making these decisions. And obviously the company behind the fan made the decision that the local sports angle wasn't working for them. And so they come in and they lay off everybody. And um, I, I think you can make an argument that, that maybe three sports talk stations were one too many in this market. But re- regardless, you have to feel bad for all the people that were suddenly just up and told that they don't have a job. But um, the, the market, I mean, it does change. But once again, it always makes me appreciate how fortunate some of us are to have, have found an audience and how much I very much appreciate you listening over all these years. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. During Alex's newscast, he was talking about this new exhibit that is at the War Memorial. We were supposed to go to the grand opening last night and didn't just weren't able to do it for a variety of reasons. I saw Tim Michaels was down there and they had a number of the... Um, they, they had at least one of the the living um, Medal of Honor winners. If you if you get a chance, I am told it is acts absolutely spectacular. Um, the War Memorial has gone through a series of renovations, and they now have this new interactive exhibit, which is dedicated to the the various. Um, Medal of Honor winners from Wisconsin, and and it it's just absolutely spectacular. If you go and you look at the stuff that's going on at the War Memorial, they have a number of different activities, and they have bands that are playing there on some evenings and things like that. It, it's really becoming more and more of a destination, and they're they're really bringing it back. And I encourage people to to take advantage and, and go down there and do that. They've got opportunities for picnics, and they've got a beer garden that operates from time to time. They're really trying to get people down there to enjoy it. But also just just to I think it's a spectacular location, but also to help educate ourselves on the sacrifices that so many people have made over the years, so we can continue to enjoy our freedom. And today was the the actual ribbon cutting. I think at ten o'clock in the morning, so it's now open to the general public. Um, join me if you get a chance, because we're going to be doing that in the next couple of days. Go down there and actually take part in in seeing the interactive exhibit. I know you will not. Be disappointed. I, I am curious as to your reaction to this story. The Kettle Moraine School Board has taken a lot of criticism, at least in, in social media, because of a decision that, that they made in, in July. What they said is that, you know, moving forward, they are going to prohibit any display of political or religious messaging in classrooms. So teachers and administration are not to display political or religious messaging in the classroom or on their person. That includes 
pride flags, you know, like the, the gay pride flag, the expectation also prohibits pronouns, political language, and religious views from staff emails and signatures. And it says that a standardized email expectation is name, position, title, location, certification, awards, and degrees. So, you know, nowadays, at least at some places, there's always, you get the person's name, and then it says preferred pronoun. Do you want to be he? Do you want to be she? Do you want to be they? Whatever. That That's... And, and that's a decision that some companies that decide to make. Well, Kettle Moraine School Board says, no, that's not what we're going to do. We're not going to have preferred pronouns. You know, if you're doing a staff email, it's the expectation is your name, your position, Jeff Wagner, talk show host, location, you know, Milwaukee certification awards degrees, but not preferred pronoun, none of that stuff. It's just let's let's keep it simple. Also, again, no gay pride flags. Um in addition to that, no Black Lives Matters pins, no thin blue line flags, no we back the badge signs and flags because they consider all those to be political. Well, this created this huge uproar, particularly when it came to the gay pride, uh, the, the pride flag. How dare you say this is political? That you know, this if teachers want to display these buttons and put this up in their classrooms, they should be able to do it because we want to create a welcoming environment, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That is the argument. Well, last night, the Kettle Moraine School Board, in the face of all sorts of criticism, voted unanimously to keep a policy in place that bans pride flags and other items. The superintendent says pride flags and all these other things, whether it's Black Lives Matter pins or thin blue line flags or we back the badge flags, they say, yeah, for, for our purposes, we consider them to be political um, and therefore against our employee code of conduct. So, you know, this has generated a huge amount of controversy. You know, we should be able to display the pride flag. We should be able to display, you know, all this other stuff in the classrooms. How dare you tell us that we can't? Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Did the school board get it right? And I guess for me, this isn't a question of, like, the, the, the pride flag, or whether or not people should be able to display. We're we're talking about teachers and we're talking about administrators in the classroom. We're not talking about whether, you know, what their sexual orientation is or anything like that. But I guess the question is, in a classroom setting, is it wrong to say, no, we, we we just don't want to get into these arguments about what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. So we Keep that out of there. You know, in, in your personal life, if you want to drive up and you've got a, you know, a, a, a pride flag, you know, waving proudly from the back of your pickup truck, that that's fine. If on your own time you want to wear the buttons or whatever, but in the classrooms, we want to, we just, we want to eliminate all this stuff and we don't want to get into arguments about what's political, all those types of things. We're not telling, we're just saying, just teach or just administer. Is the school board wrong in taking that position? 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. What do you think? We discuss in a moment. Don't go anywhere. Jeff Wagner is back right after this. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, so what the Kettle Moraine School Board is doing is they're saying, look, we we just in the classroom, you know, we, we, we don't want teachers or administrators, we won't don't want them displaying flags, so no black or, or buttons, no Black Lives Matter stickers, no thin blue line stickers. We we don't want them displaying flags, so no no gay pride, no pride flags, no presumably none of these uh, other American flags like the Betsy Ross flag or the Don't Tread on Me flag, which some people suggest has been, you know, ad- adopted by, you know, um, white supremacists and things like that. The school board is saying, look, we, we, we want to just keep it simple. And we want in the classroom, we don't want these things that we view as potential distractions. So just if you're a teacher in the classroom, just teach. You know, we're not telling you what you can do or can't do on your own time. If you're an administrator, just administer. But we don't want these other things that are distractions that are out there. And they're saying we're not taking any position on 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 uh, the, the pride flag or any of this other stuff. And we just we, we don't want the, the potential hassles that this stuff can cause. So when you're in the classroom, just concentrate on, on teaching. Is that an unreasonable position? Let's talk to Jen in Heartland. Jen, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think of all this? I agree 100%. A lot of time has been focused the last couple of years on things that are not the teachers just teaching. I mean, and the school district doesn't have to take a position, but they're getting that out of the classroom because a lot of time is spent on the students talking about the different issues that the school board just said they don't need to be talking about either way. Yeah. Now, the argument would be, for example, let's let's take the pride flag that, you know, you, you want to be welcoming to people of all different sexual orientations. So why shouldn't you, if you're a teacher, display the, the pride flag to show that you're going to be welcoming to people who might have a different sexual orientation than the majority of the kids in the school? Well, my stance on that is you're in school. You don't need to be welcomed anywhere. Go there, get your education, and do what you want on your own time. The teachers are there to teach you certain standards, and you can talk about your personal life outside of school. So much time has been in debates with the pronouns and the flags and yeah. who's wearing this and teachers teaching their opinion versus what they're supposed to be teaching. Yeah, and I think they, and I think that's—I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, Jenna. Hit the button. I, see, and, and that's—I I understand it's difficult to have this conversation without somebody saying, well, you're, you're, you're homophobic or you're racist or whatever. And, and I, I think there's a larger point here, and that is the, the school district is trying to avoid distractions. And it's not it's not saying, hey, we, we think that the, the, the pride flag is a harmful flag or something like that, or we think people shouldn't display that on their own time. No, I, at least I hope that's not the presentation. Or or if you want to wear your Black Lives Matter button or your T-shirt or whatever, that, that's fine to do it on, on your own time. Or you want to wear your, you know, don't tread on me, um, you know, um, American flag shirt. But it is true that when you interject this into the classroom, immediately you start conversations about, okay, well, why, why do we have the pride flag in here and what's going on? And and when you're supposed to be teaching calculus or, or whatever, and Kettle Moraine School Board is just trying to avoid those distractions. I understand some people would say, well, the, the gay pride flag isn't, the pride flag isn't, isn't, you know, political in the same sense that, 
I don't know, something else might be political. But the, the board just doesn't want to deal with this on an individual basis. The board doesn't want to get into an argument, I think, about, oh, if you have the Gadsden flag, that's the old the, the rattlesnake coiled up, you know, is that – is that is that a political statement because some white supremacist groups have adopted that they don't want to get into that argument so it's just kind of like let's let's just stay away from this and at least during the school day let let's concentrate on teaching the kids 855-616-1620 let's talk to Steve in West Bend Steve you're on WTMJ Hi thanks for taking my call Sure um Okay, if they don't want any political statements in the classroom, then what about the Pledge of Allegiance? <laughs> you know, that's a political statement. If you're in California and teaching California history, what about the California Republic flag? Because that was the state, it's now the state flag, but that was essentially about a revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where do you draw the line? I guess I'm back with the idea that the Pledge of Allegiance is a political statement. I, I guess I, I'm, I'm having trouble. Why do you think it is a political statement? Because you pledge your allegiance to the flag and to everything that it stands for. Yeah, well, I, I, thanks. Well, I, I guess I'm, I'm not sure I would say that that's necessarily political. That's a, that's a citizenship point of view. But well, I don't know if you pledge allegiance to everything that it stands for, but we're not telling people what they stand for. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure I'm with you on that argument. I, I don't think that that's a—I don't think because you allow the Pledge of Allegiance, that automatically means that you need to allow— Again, let's take the thin blue line T-shirts, and I'm trying to be, oh, I'm trying to view with this as both sides of this. I mean, can you imagine the, the controversy that would occur again if you know you had the teachers that were displaying the the thin blue line type of T-shirt in there? And you know, some people would be offended, and just like some people would say, okay, well, why why do we have the Black Lives Matter thing? I appreciate and acknowledge that the Pride flag is is different. But at the same time, does it need to be displayed in the classroom? Do individual teachers need to, like, wear their, their pride buttons during the, the classroom? Or is that a potential distraction that's there? And I guess, the, to me, the real question is, is the school board being unreasonable when it says, look, we just, we just don't want to have to differentiate. We don't want to get into these arguments. So n- none of this stuff, just none of this stuff, we don't want to argue about, you know, what the meaning is and what the intent behind this all is. We just want to concentrate on that. And then the whole concept of of the pronouns as well. You know, we, with all due respect, you know, on, you know, on your professional business cards and your email signatures and stuff, we don't care about what pronouns that you want to use. It's your name. It's your title. It's, you know, if you want to put in your, you know, your, your background and your educational background or whatever, that's fine. But we don't see a need for that. Now, again, I understand some businesses that approach things differently. You know, they, they have the, you know, what is your preferred pronoun and things like that. But do you absolutely, do you need that? Let's talk to Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think of all this? Yeah, I don't blame the Kettle Moraine School District. That is the easiest way to do it and just kind of make it a blanket thing where, you know, no political statements. Um, I don't agree with what that other caller said, that the Pledge of Allegiance is a political statement per se, because it's, I mean, you are a member of this country, are you not? Um, you might not support everything that it stands for, but you are still a member of it, and you support the government, I guess, as much as you should if you're a citizen. 
But all the other things like, you know, gay, you know, the gay or pride flag and Black Lives Matter or, you know, what you said, the don't tread on me, you can teach about those things. They yeah. can be in the textbook and you can teach about them. You don't need to have whether you support it or not. It just creates controversy that takes away from actual learning. Well, I, I think Mike, thanks. For, I mean, I guess I, I agree with they're trying to they're trying to be content neutral is what they're they're trying to do. And I think they're they're saying, OK, we we're in doing this. We're, we're we are trying to advance the educational goals. Now, I understand in some other school districts that they might take a completely different perspective of it. I, I doubt that you're going to see the Madison School Board, you know, go down this particular route. I guess my point is I don't think that this is an unreasonable position to take. And obviously the Kettle Moraine School Board agreed because they voted unanimously to continue this policy. Will they end up caving in in the face of pressure? And the ACLU is all upset about these things. Well, I, I don't know. Can't make a prediction. But I don't think they're bad guys for at least trying to just be content neutral when it comes to the classrooms. When we come back, we're going to find out what John, Greg, and Melissa have on their minds on Wisconsin's Afternoon News.